Man, I feel like we've already just had a super powerful service. Like, I, I almost think I could just pray and close, and we could worship real quick and go home. Like, right? Oh, thanks, Tom. <laughs> Um, so as Terry said, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Crossroads, and I'm just, I'm excited to just share the word with you this morning. Um, just, I know that God's got something good for us, so, um, if you've got your Bible, who's got their Bible? Awesome. Um, I, I encourage you guys, uh, a lot of you guys bring your, your cell phones. That's cool, I guess. Um, I really believe in, there's just something about the actual, like, written Word of God, um, more than just the Bible app on your cell phone. I just feel like there's something genuine and tangible about holding the Bible in church, um, getting to highlight things, um, and, and I don't know, I'm a little bit old school, I guess. Um, I like things that are uh, a little bit um, more genuine and, and old-timey, so I love to have the actual Bible with me um, in church. I love to, to read out of um, the Bible versus my phone on a daily basis. Um, so anyways, um, why, why do we care about this book so much? Um, it's important. This is the Word of God. Uh, Timothy, um, in the book of Timothy, Paul writes that it's the inspired Word of God. Every word in here, I believe, is put in this book for a specific reason, all the way down to the apostrophes, the periods, they're there for a reason. God intended them to be there. This is the one thing he holds true above his own name, is the word of God. Okay, cool. So um, turning your Bibles, um, if you don't have your Bible though, we'll have it up on the screen in a little bit. Um, turning your Bibles, we're going to uh, in a second, jump into Matthew chapter 22. Um, and this morning, I want to talk to you about what is um, considered in the Word uh, the two greatest commandments in Scripture. Um, so this entire book, if we take this entire book, we sum it up into to the two commandments. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind, and to love others as yourself. Um, 66 books within this one book penned by 44 different men, all boiling down to this, these two what seem so simple commandments. Cool? Um, so let's go ahead and read in Matthew uh, chapter 22. It says, um, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. I don't think this was a smart choice on their part. Um, they gathered together. Um, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. How many know it's not always the greatest thing to try to test Jesus? Okay. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So my title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is The Greatest Commandments. Write that down. Um, and we're going to be talking about the idea um, of loving God with every power within us, um, with everything within ourselves, every bit of who we are, um, that loving Jesus would consume us and overtake us. And that from that, loving other people in the same light, the same love, and the same dignity and respect that we give ourselves. Amen? 
Will you pray with me as we open up this morning? Lord, I just pray as we, as we dig into your word, Father God, I just pray that, that you would speak uh, to hearts this morning, that you would speak to each one of us individually, Lord God. You have something new for us to hear this morning, and I pray that, um, Lord, that you would speak through me, that I would just be a vessel, Lord God. Help, help me uh, to step back and you to just come screaming through, Lord God, that you would speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. Have any of you guys ever met a know-it-all? I think we all at least have that one friend that knows everything. I see people getting pointed at already in the room. <laughs> um, I can tend to be a know-it-all sometimes, believe it or not. I know, I'm just such a nice guy, but really, um, it, can, it can happen to the best of us. Uh, actually, my, my brother, uh, my older brother, who's the closest in age to me, um, he and I, uh, there's just something about, um, and, and maybe Alec, you, you can relate, about the, the, two, the number two and the number three is that, man, we just, we butt heads a lot. But also we are, he and I are the closest. He lives in Switzerland, um, and he has he's studied theology, and a lot of times theology becomes our, our thing. Not that we necessarily butt heads on, but we like to de- debate. And my brother just loves to, for the sake of, of the debate. It doesn't matter if he believes the side that he is on. He just loves the sake of the debate. And if you know my brother, Kelvin, you know this to be true, especially if you've spent a lot of time with him. Um, and so he was in town um, in May, and, and almost the whole time that we were here, we were going at it about one thing in particular, something that had happened in the news that, that revolved around theology. And and. To be honest, we were both absolutely right in our viewpoints, but I wanted him to look at it from my point of view, and he was stubborn and wasn't going to move from where he was at. And, and we fought, and there was a point, they were staying at our house, there was a point where I got so mad, this is your pastor being honest with you, I get to be a human being, okay, right? Um, I got so mad, I just walked out of the house. I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. Finally, we like... We came to terms with each other, sitting around a fire, um, and, and we loved on each other. We repented and all of that, and it, it was good, um, but we can, we can butt heads sometimes. I can want to be a know-it-all sometimes, and uh, actually this two weeks ago, I got an amazing opportunity to go on what I would consider the trip of a lifetime. I got to spend a week on the best fly fishing waters in, in the country. I didn't get to do any fishing, though. Um, I got to do one of my other hobbies, which was to to, to film a short film um, about fly fishing. And part of that was just a, a lot of hanging out around campfires. And, and we were hanging out around this campfire, and somebody was talking about, about ice cream or, or something of the sort, and they said the word sherbet. <laughs> what did you just say? Like, is that a word, sherbet? Like, who's... Who says that? I was like, you got, you got to be joking. It's Sherbert. Duh. Like, sure, Sherbert. And I guess I was wrong. Um, I, I guess. Like, I've grown my whole life. I was like, I feel lied to my entire life about Sherbert. Like, that doesn't, e- apparently Sherbert's not even like a real word. I had, I had no idea, and so I had to, I, I argued this point for a little bit, like, no, you're wrong, like, what is this weird Idaho people think that they are, like, <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't get it, um, but, 
I, I finally, I, thanks for technology, I Googled on my phone. I was like, well, I, I'm wrong. Like, I'm just clear as day wrong. Apparently, sherbet's not really a word, and it is sherbet. <laughs> Who would have known? But I believe that we can all get to a point of standing firm, stubborn in our ground on whatever issue or whatever topic it is that sometimes that's the thing that maybe Jesus wants to speak to us through. So um, as we dig into our, our Bible this morning, I want us to get some further context of this commandment that, that Jesus talks about here in Matthew. And we're actually going to dig into the book of Luke in chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Um, verse 25 is where we're going to start. It's the the parable of a good Samaritan. I think we all know this story. We've all heard it before. And it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. I often read when, like we just talked about another person testing Jesus and we get hindsight 2020, right? We, we already know how the story ends. And I read this, I'm like, dude, bad idea. Like, do you know who you're talking to? You're not going to win. You're not going to win. Don't put Jesus to the test in this. He knows, I think, the word more than you did. He wrote it, okay? Um, and he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's it written in the law? Jesus is like, he's just really giving him, like, he's just giving it to him. He's being nice, gentle. What's written in the law? How do you read it? Um, you tell me is kind of the attitude that Jesus has. What do you think it means? And he answered, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring, why does this guy keep going? I guess some people think Sherbert's a word too. Um, but he said, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? He thinks it's easy to do on his own, is the point that this lawyer is getting at. He's justifying himself. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, just by chance, there was a priest. Priest seems like a pretty good guy to stumble upon a half dead guy. And he saw him, and he passed by on the other side of the road. Didn't even want to go near it. Just leave it out. And likewise, a Levite, when he had come to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. The priest and the Levite were both who we have the expectation in our minds should be the ones to, to, to help this guy out. They're the ones that that we should automatically go, those two are the neighbor to this man. They're of the same kin. They're of the same blood. This is a priest and a Levite of the tribe of Levi of the priestly tribe. But a Samaritan, who is the Samaritan? I think nowadays... Hindsight 2020, right? If we don't have context for this, we think of the Samaritan. We always see like, 
oh, the good Samaritan hospital, the Samaritan, the Samaritan. It always is referring to a good person. So in our 2018 culture, we go, oh, a Samaritan is a good person. Of course he's going to help this guy. He's a good person. That wasn't the context that this is in. Actually, the Samaritan was, would have been hated by the man that is sitting on the side of the road half dead. He's the enemy to the man half dead on the side of the road. As he journeyed, he came to where he was and he saw him and he had compassion on him. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is like two days wages, okay? A denarii was a day's wage. This is two days worth of money, a few hundred dollars. And he gives it to the innkeeper and says to them, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when you come back or when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, okay, go do likewise. So there's a couple questions that I want us to ask of the text today. Uh, The first one is, who is my neighbor? Okay, who is my neighbor? The original passage that we read in Matthew, um, the word used for neighbor defines, it, it, it means virtually anybody. It encompasses all people, anybody that this man would have come in contact with. And I think that's what this lawyer kind of believed. Anybody in my kind of sphere of influence, that's my neighbor who I should love and have compassion on. But I love that Jesus is always taking things a step further. And he does it in a loving way. Jesus really lays it on for us here. And he goes as far as he can within this man's worldview as far as he absolutely can to find the least deserving person of love. And he says, that is who you love. As far as Jesus can absolutely go within his worldview, he says, that's who you love. Your neighbor isn't the guy that lives next door to you in your your little neighborhood that has the same political views as you, raises his kids the same way as you. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying your neighbor is a person that you have written off as completely unlovable, backwards in thinking. The one who hates you, the one who mocks you, the one that votes against everything that you hold true in, in life, that is your neighbor. And that brings a whole new light of context to what Jesus is wanting to speak to us this morning. That's the person that we as Christians are called to love. The next question I want us to ask is, how much should we love our neighbor? How far do we go? Let's look at Matthew. Um, In that, in, in Matthew... It says, as yourself. Seems pretty fair enough, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty basic human love, right? Just, we're just going to be courteous, genuine, as myself. But again, Jesus takes this another step 
further. In our passage in Matthew, the word that Jesus uses for love is not a simple worldly affection of love, but rather it's the highest moral consideration for another human being. It's to love someone without self-interest. It's a love that is holy. That is what Jesus is describing in this. A without self-interest kind of love. He didn't just do what was necessary. If you read back in the Good Samaritan passage, it says that, that he put oil and wine and he bandaged the wounds. He didn't just like throw him on his, on his animal and say, I'll, I'll, I'll at least drop you off at the hospital. He didn't do what was just necessary. He saw him, he came to him, he cared for him with love and compassion, tended to his wounds, which probably were gross, okay? I'm not one that, that's able to handle things like that well. So if this was me, this is an extent of love right here, okay? Tends to his wounds. He takes him and he gives two denarii. He doesn't just pay for what he needs. He gives a, cares for him at the end, gives the innkeeper more money, and then he says, if you need more, I'll come back and pay it. Whatever you need. He goes above and above and above and beyond what is necessary to just show love. That's what Jesus does for us. God doesn't want us and call us to just be civil to our enemies and to scrape by in kindness. Rather, he calls us to have the highest level of compassion and love for our enemies. Now, if you're anything like me, we've got to this point in the message and you're kind of like, well, that's impossible. It's just not, a f it's, it's not something that I feel like I'm, I'm capable of. And, and there's, something, there's something true about that. Because if you were capable of this, you had any ability in this, Jesus wouldn't have died on a cross 2,000 years ago. If you could show this kind of love and compassion for your neighbor, he wouldn't have died on a cross 2,000 years ago. It would have been a waste of time and a waste of his life. You know how I know that I have no hope in this as a person? How I personally read this and go, I am hopeless in this fact, is that I have a Washington State driver's license and I drive on Washington public roads on a pretty well daily basis, okay? And if you could hear some of the internal dialogue that goes through my head <laughs> driving on Washington public roads on a daily basis, you would understand that I fail at this all the time, okay? I just was visiting a friend in Seattle just the other day, and Seattle just takes this up e even bigger notch, okay? And I'm trying to get on the freeway. I'm in a, a right-hand only turn lane at a stoplight with a, a nice you know, hook to get on the on-ramp, and I'm not kidding you, probably like five times, which as a preacher probably means three times, um, <laughs> cars in the line are in the straight turn the straight lane and they're they're trying to turn right around people and just like oh we'll just merge together i'm like no <laughs> you don't get to do this like 
what gave you the right to cut everybody else off? And so I see this happen a couple cars in front of me. I'm like, this guy, who's he think he is? And so I'm like, sure enough, I'm, I'm getting up, up to where I'm about to turn in. I, I'm going to be stereotypical. This lady in a Prius. <laughs> and for me, like, normally I, I can just be like, go back to Seattle. But I'm in Seattle, so I'm like, I just want to go home. And, and she cuts me off, but she doesn't just like loop right around, like not aggressive. She just like meanders. And I'm like, no, stop. Don't go any further. And I just, I just kept going. And like for five minutes, I'm thinking in my head, like how, what is wrong with people around here? Like that they can just cut me off like this. Like this isn't fair. This is me recognizing to myself that there's no way I have any merit to live up to what is summed up the entire law, right? It says hinges on these two commandments. And, and this is simple down, the whole law boiled into two simple, we're going to make it easy for you, okay? Two simple statements, love God with all your heart and love others as yourself. I missed that point. <laughs> Jesus makes it simple and I still fall short. Where is the hope in this, if even in a simplified version, I still fall short. Our hope is only found in Jesus. So step number one into living out the greatest commandments is recognizing who Jesus is. Recognizing who Jesus is. See, a lot of people, they met Jesus. This, this lawyer in our passage in Luke, he met Jesus. He was face to face standing in front of Jesus, but he never recognized who Jesus was. In hindsight, 2020, we get a look at, at this lawyer and go, dude, not with an arrogancy that says you shouldn't test Jesus, but with a broken heart that says the answer, man, standing right in front of you. It's right there. And, and you've got, you're so caught in your way, you've got your blinders on. The answer, the man who is love, who is grace, who is truth, was standing right in front of this guy. Right in front of him. The fulfillment of the commandment is standing in front of him and he just, he misses the point. Our second step is that we have to respond to Jesus in love. I think we have to recognize who Jesus is, right? He's full of grace, full of truth, full of love. He's the fulfillment of the commandment and then we need to begin to respond to that. Us, fulfilling this commandment doesn't come out of it being a commandment. It comes out of it being a response. When I recognize who Jesus is, when I see Jesus show up in my life full of, of grace, all I want to do is to worship God. It drives my heart to worship. And I begin to go, oh God, you're so good. Me, I can't even not get upset with a lady cutting me off. 
but look how good you are. It drives me to want to love God with all of my heart because of what he's done in my life. And then it, it drives me to want to love others because I see how much Jesus has loved me. When we recognize this perfect love comes from Jesus to us, I believe our only response is worship and adoration to him. Loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, which drives us to see others in the level of grace and love that we now see ourselves in, that Jesus sees us in. And we begin to, I think, love others the way that we ought to love ourselves. Will you today respond to Jesus in that way? To begin to recognize that, man, there is no way, there's no way that I can even fathom being able to do this on my own. But that Jesus came down on a cross for me. He gave his life for me. He found me. He chased me down. I love reading in Luke chapter 15. There's three parables there about the way that Jesus pursues us. One of them is a prodigal son who squanders everything in his life, gives it all up, lives an awful life, recognizes, man, if only I could just be a slave in my father's house, I would be better off. And he starts to come back, and his father sees him afar off. Far off. He's waiting for him. He's looking for him. He's pursuing him. He sees him and he begins to run, which means he has to pick up his garment and begin to run, which wasn't very modest or easy back in the day. And he pursues and he chases him down, meets him, and he says, no, not just a slave in my house. And he goes back and he throws a party for him, and he celebrates. My lost son has come home. That's the way that Jesus loves us. And I think when we finally begin to understand that he leaves the 99 to chase after the one, and when we recognize that that one is me, I can't live up to it. That means my neighbor, my enemy, He's the same spot as me. He's nowhere worse off than I am. And Jesus wants to chase him down, to pursue him the same way he pursued me. And when we come to that place where we recognize and we humble ourselves, this commandment comes out of humility. It no longer is so much a commandment that I can never fulfill it's a response in worship. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close with this. 
which means we got like 30 more minutes left, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going clo- to close with this, and if the worship team wants to head back up, that would be awesome, because I, I believe that today that we need to respond in worship to Jesus when we're done here, is that this... I've been, I've been studying a lot on, the, on this message. I've read through this passage several times, several times, and it wasn't until I'm rereading and rereading yesterday in my office that Jesus totally just, dang, I always want to cry, comes in and just wants to shake things up. Jesus is the Samaritan man. Do you recognize that? Jesus Christ isn't talking about how I need to live up to it. Sure, if I want to get to heaven on myself, I better try to be that. But he is the Samaritan man. He's saying, look at me. I'm the answer that I'm giving you. He found us when I was broken on the side of the road. We are dead in our sin on the side of the road. An enemy of him. He was hated by us. Says his own people rejected him. And I don't think, see it says the other two guys, they they passed on the other side of the road. I think they kind of saw him from a ways off and they're like, I'm not even going to go there. But I think Jesus saw, the Samaritan saw him from a ways off. And I don't think he just kind of was like, "Mm," and and debated in his head. No, I think he saw the man wounded on the side of the road. And he came running. He pursued him. And I think he shows up and he doesn't just say, oh, let me help you. No, he he picks him up. And I think he's gentle and he, he bandages him pours oil and wine on the wounds, not just to get him by, but to heal him. He puts us on his own animal. He gives us the things he deserves. He cared for us, and then he paid the price, the debt that was due at the end. Paid the price for us, for you and me. It doesn't matter where you are today. You may be that person dead, broken, beat up by the world on the side of the road. And I want to tell you today, Jesus is chasing you down. And then he goes even further. He doesn't just pay the price for our sin. He says, I'll be back to pay whatever more I need to pay. Whatever's going to happen, whatever more expense comes up, I'm going to pay it. That's how grace works. It doesn't say I need to keep trying. I need to keep trying to make it on my own after grace. No, it says whatever more expense, I will pay it when I come back. And I'll be back. If you need more grace, don't worry about it. I'm going to be back with more. While we were still 
is enemies. Christ died for us. So it doesn't matter where you are on this scale. Because while we were still his enemy, it doesn't matter where the people outside of this room are, how they vote, whatever they do, it doesn't matter where they're at. The life they live, while I was his enemy, he came for me. Which means while you, while they are his enemy, he's coming for them. And if I can begin to recognize that in my life, I think that's the only hope I have in living out loving other people the way that Jesus loves them. I need to be reminded often that I'm the man dead on the side of the road. That's me. Dead in my sin, trying to do it on my own way of thinking. Thinking I could just pass through life Earn my spot in heaven. But he chased me down. He pursued me. He picked me up and he cared for my wounds. There's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing I can do to deserve it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. Do you hear that? It's not of our own doing. It's a gift. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. Why do I so often try to boast? Hey, you see the standard? You failed. Why do I try to think I I can be the guy to point out everybody else's flaws? No one can boast. We are his workmanship. It's not I am his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Everybody around us is his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. God's called people for good works. I think we need to call people for good works too. Which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't strive to live out this commandment to earn God's love, but rather to worship Him in humility of how great of a God I serve. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, I just, I'm thankful for the way that you love us, Lord God. Lord, that when we're dead in our sin, broken, beat up on the side of the road, Father God, Lord, that you reached down. You went above and beyond to save us, Father God. And I just want to take a minute for us to respond to this. And it, if, if that's you, and you just, you feel like you're in that place broken on the side of the road, and you say, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for me. I want you to know today that Jesus is your hope. He's there. He wants to pick you up and and he wants to to cover your wounds. And if that's you and and you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time this morning, I'm just going to ask that you do one simple thing that you would just 
with everybody's heart and, and heads bowed, that on the count of three that you would raise your hand. I believe that something powerful happens when we choose to physically say yes to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you if that's you this morning on the count of three. One, two, three. If that's you, if you just want to raise your hand and look up at me. I see you. I see you. Jesus loves you. He wants to meet you right where you're at. Praise Jesus. And if you're in this room and you say, man, I just need Jesus to forgive me because I love it. I haven't loved people the way that Jesus has. I've challenged them to a standard to live up to that I can't even make on my own. And you just need Jesus to forgive you. That's me. I'll be the first to admit that's me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Three, two, one. God, I'm so thankful that you showed up in our building this morning, Lord God. Lord, that you showed up to speak to us, Lord God. Lord, that you showed up to heal broken hearts this morning. I pray that you would continue that healing, Lord God, as we go from this place. Lord God, help us to respond today in worship, Father God. Lord, that we would see you and see your grace in the new light this morning, Lord God, and it would drive us to worship you like we've never worshipped you before, Father God. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you guys join me if you're able to stand, would you stand with me and worship God this morning? Sing, I believe. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe.